And uh, my family is coming up next week. And so I'm going to be preaching on dysfunctional families with my family here. <coughs> and uh, I think we, we're up there in the top, uh, top 10 dysfunctional families. I'm sure some of, uh, some of you here will probably give us a run for our money, but uh, God has been good. He's been so, so faithful. And um, so we're going to talk about this morning how to raise a Christian brat. Now, I know none of your children were brats. And I, and I really pray that that word doesn't offend you today, but we have some Christian brats, not only in the Bible, because there's a lot of them, but we also are raising some Christian brats. And I hope that through the word of God, you'd be able to see the error of your ways <laughs> and that we would be able to let God transform our lives. Amen? Amen. So go ahead and give somebody a high five and tell them I'm not going to raise no Christian brat. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to show you a little short clip of a video in just a few seconds. But I was really, you know, there's so much dysfunction in the Bible. It's really kind of hard to uh, figure out which one to speak on. And... I started to think about the characteristics of a brat. They are a badly behaved child, a bossy child, my way or the highway. I watched a, a YouTube video yesterday. I was actually going to bring it, but I just said, no, I can't do that. This 10-year-old kid, and it was on Dr. Phil. It was on a YouTube thing. This, this kid... Actually, uh, his mom and him were talking, and he just, wham, slapped his mother across the face and said, you shut up. You wait till I'm finished. And I was like, man. And, and she was like, okay. I, I was in shock. Go on YouTube. You'll find it. Um, so that there's a, also a characteristic of a brat is they're very disrespectful. Toward any authority. Doesn't even matter who it is, they're just disrespectful. And another characteristic is that they love to throw temper tantrums. So, I have a video, it's an old, old video from an old movie. Some of you may not even remember it, but it's, it's, a, it's a movie worth watching. And it's uh, Marlon Brando when he was very, very young. It's called On the Waterfront, and it's just a very short clip. Go ahead and show it. You don't have to do the, you don't have to do the lights. How much you weigh, son? When you weighed 168 pounds, you were beautiful. You could have been another Billy Khan. That skunk we got you for the manager. He brought you along too fast. It wasn't him, Charlie, it was you. 
Remember that night in the garden, he came down my dressing room and said, kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night, I could have taken Wilson apart. So what happens? He gets the title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have to take them dives for the short-end money. Well, I had some bets down for you. You saw some money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. It was you, Charlie. That is probably one of the most famous scenes ever. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of those words. I could have been a contender. Uh, those are famous words. And this movie is all about him. He was a boxer, and his brother made him take some dives, and he didn't get the money. And so he was actually blaming his brother. It was you, Charlie. It was you. It's your fault. I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. I could have made it to the top, but it was your fault. Your fault I didn't make it. Your fault I didn't get all the way to the top. There is nothing more sad than to be remembered for what you could have done or you should have done. And that's exactly who we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to be talking about Samson. Samson was a man who had great potential. He had tremendous potential. He could have been a contender. Samson was a, born to a godly couple. And when he was born in the town of Zorah, everybody there was living like the devil, except for these two people. We don't even know Samson's mother's name. We know his father's name, Manoah, but we don't know her name. So we'll just call him Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. But they were faithful followers of the Lord. And even though they were faithful, they had one thing that was missing in their life. They had no children. And back then, to not have a child was very, very horrible. There was a stigma put on you if you didn't have a child. You mean, you don't have a kid? You mean God doesn't love you? That's what they looked at. They looked at children as God's blessing. And if you did not have a child, then you were not blessed by God. So they had been praying, Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. They had been praying and praying that they would have a child because they wanted to get this stigma off of them. And then one day the angel comes to give the news that they were going to have a son. And you know what's so different about this is that when I had my children, I never got an instruction manual. Anybody ever get an instruction manual? This is what you're going to do with them? Well, the angel came with an instruction manual to Mrs. Manoah. And she told her what her son was to do for the rest of his life. He told her three things. 
that their son was not ever to do. He was not to eat or drink anything that grew on the vine. What grows on the vine? What do you make grapes with? Wine. Couldn't eat or drink anything that grew on the vine. He was never to cut his hair, and he was never to touch anything that died. That, in those days, was called a Nazarite, someone who was separated, someone who did not do what everybody else did, because everybody else was drinking, everybody else was partying, everybody else was cutting their hair, everybody else was touching dead things. But a Nazarite could not do any of that. So Mr. and Mrs. Manoah were not only to become parents, but they had to also take on this great responsibility of guiding and directing their son and into the calling what God had placed upon his life. And Mr. and Mrs. Manoah, they loved their son, as every parent does when they have their child. In fact, Samson, the meaning of Samson is sunshine. Imagine calling your child sunshine. Good morning, sunshine. Doesn't that sound like me, Val? I used to wake you up in the morning. Good morning, sunshine. Come on. That's what Samson means. It means sunshine. Now, parents have always faced difficulties and felt the pain of their children. They worry and they panic, not only of what has happened, but what could happen. Parents are always tripping about, oh no, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Everyone thinks they all know about parenting until they have kids of their own. Because Samson was the child that they prayed for, and because Samson was an only child, his parents spoiled him. They overindulged him. They may have told him no, but they did not follow through with the instructions. They may have said, no, Samson, don't do that. Samson, don't do that. No, Samson, no. But today I want to give you instructions on how to raise a Christian brat. Open, uh, well, you have your, your notes in, inside your bulletin. Judges 14, 1 through 3. How to raise a Christian brat. Follow along with me. Everybody read along. It says, one day when Samson was in Tim, now everybody, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timna caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry, they asked? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. Soap operas ain't got nothing on the Bible, okay? Absolutely nothing. Well, the number one, the first thing on how to raise a Christian brat, the fill-in says brats want to have their what? Their own way. Their own way. Well, you guys are right in there. 
They want to have their own way. See, Timnah was the Philistine territory about four miles down from where Samson's village of Zohar was. But what this also says about Samson is that there was a decline in his spiritual life. Because this is the first time we actually read of Samson. He leaves the land of Israel. He leaves the place of where he grew up around God. And he starts to look out to the land of the Philistines. Or he begins to look out to the world. Samson went to the world to have his needs met. He headed south spiritually. He headed south to Timnah. Being a brat will always take you south. The truth of the matter is, is that there's a little bit of Samson in all of us. And for some people, there's a whole lot of Samson in them. See, the game plan of the Philistines was really simple. They used to have their women parade themselves around the Israelite men. Because they knew that if they could intermarry the Philistine women with the Israelite men, that the women could be able to seduce them away from their God. And so they allowed the women to dress the way they wanted to. They allowed the women to walk the way they wanted to. They wanted them to bring the Israelite men, to get them away from their God, to get them away from the separation of the Israelite group of people. They wanted their culture to disappear. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? The world does that today. There are young men and young women that you, you want to get married. I mean, you are dying to get married. And you're looking around this church and go, ain't nobody here. Ain't nobody here. Everybody here is ugly. <laughs> and so what do you do? You begin to look when you're driving. You begin to look in the market. You look in the football games, in the baseball games. You look when you're taking your child to school. You look at meetings. You, you go to regional events. Anybody, anybody, anywhere. What, you think I don't know? You guys are looking and booking? Come on. And so what happens is that the church begins to lose its impact because we allow ourselves to become absorbed in the culture and the values of the society that we're living around. We allow ourselves to become absorbed where we're no longer standing alone, where we're no longer separate, we're no longer keeping our vows to the Lord because now we're all meshed in. We're no longer black and white. Now we're kind of a little bit of gray. See, this scripture tells us, the scripture that we read, that Samson always got what he wanted. He was a spoiled brat. That when he saw something that he wanted, he got it. He tells his father, I like her. 
I want her. Get her for me. Like if she was a piece of property. This man, Samson, was totally motivated by physical appearance. I don't know what she looked like. But he saw that this young woman looked good, and he says, I want to marry her. He was looking in the wrong place for the wrong thing for in the wrong reason. Brats want their own way. How about you? Mm, okay. Number two. Brats are disobedient. That's the word to fill in, disobedient. See, in Judges 14, 3, it says, His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. He never even met her. He never even said hello to her. And all of a sudden, he looks at her. Oh, that's the right one. You know, these people who say, oh, love at first sight, give me a break. It is not love at first sight. It is called lust at first sight. That's what it's called. There is no such thing as love at first sight. Because I'll tell you what, it takes a while for love to develop. You can like somebody, but love, love endures. Love takes a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. When you don't love somebody, yeah, you don't take nothing. Get out of here. That's the way marriages are today. First time you get me mad, pff, I'm out. It is not a commitment unto death. It's commitment until you make me mad. When Samson's parents confronted him with why he should not take a wife from the heathens, from the world, Samson was defiant. He demanded that they get him what he wanted. He, de he said, I want her. You know what? Let me, if, in case you didn't know this, Children are great manipulators. Did you know that? They're great. They, they're masters. They're, some of you are so wrapped around your kid, everybody else can see it except you. You think you got them, they got wrapped, you wrapped around their little finger. See, because brats are disobedient and rebellious in order to manipulate them. I want to show a video right now of a little short video of this little boy. Ready? I, I like you when you give me cookies. You like me when, when I give you cookies, but you don't like me all the time? Yeah, no. Why? Because <laughs> I like you only love you again. Cookies, mommy. So, oh, so only when I give you cookies do you like me? Yeah. Oh, okay, I love I, you. I, I love you too, but uh, uh, I don't like you all the time. <laughs> oh, okay, thanks. That seems really funny. 
when we're sitting in here. But when your child tells you, I hate you, I don't like you, I don't love you, and you take that to heart, and you let it pierce you, they can manipulate you. I want to let you know something in case you didn't know this already. You are not supposed to be your child's friend. You are supposed to be their parent. Friendship comes later on. Way later. After they're moved out of the house. <laughs> then you can become friends with them. But while they're in your house, you are their parent. When they are under 18, you are their parent. This is where a lot of parents make the mistake because they want their child to like them. They never want to hear those words out of their child's mouth. I hate you. Those are manipulative words. When your child is defiant and rebellious, what do you do? When your child cups an attitude with you, y'all know what that means? Cop an attitude? You, know, you all know what that means. What do you do about it? Do you get an attitude yourself? Well, if she's going to act like that, then I'm going to act like that. Or if he's going to do that, I'm going mm -mm. Some of you watch those Roseanne shows too much. Roseanne Barr? Her form of parenting will not work. Uh, the other day, there was a, I was flipping through the channels, and, and it was on. And, uh, and their kids were at the table. And then uh, the daughter says, well, what do you want me to do? Throw myself off a bridge? She goes, no, I want you to get your brother and sister and then go ahead and jump. <laughs> when your child yells at you, do you yell louder? See, who's really in charge when your child gets an attitude in your house? Your behavior tells everyone what you think. If your neighbors can hear you yelling, they know who you are. Your behavior if it doesn't change, will become your character. The Apostle Paul says this about people. This is what's going to happen in the last days. These are the last days, Paul's saying. In 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5, it says this. It says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then he says, have nothing to do with them. That's right there in the Bible. Let me ask you something, parent. I know some of you already have older children, so you're like, you're like, I'm off the hook. 
But for those of you who have children or maybe you have grandchildren, how many times do you have to have your, tell your child to do something? You have to tell them once, twice, three times, four times, five times, throw the trash. You need to throw the trash. Well, wait, wait till the commercial's on. No, you need to throw the trash. Go clean your room. Go pick up your clothes. Go put your coat away. Go, and, you know, all of those things. And if you have to repeat yourself as a parent, I'm going to hopefully give you something that you need to do from now on. You tell your child once, you turn your back, and you walk away. That's it. One time. Children need to learn to be accountable for their words and their actions. You need to let your child know that there will be consequences because you have to mean what you say and you say what you mean. Now, <clears throat> my daughter is here and she knows. I didn't, I didn't ask you permission, but I won't talk about you, I'll talk about your brother and sister. <laughs> my children knew when they were growing up that I meant what I said and I said what I meant I didn't tell them two times I didn't tell them three times I didn't tell them four times I would just tell them once now they learned that I meant what I said because if I told them you know kids when they come home from school what do they do throw off their backpack, throw off their coats, throw their shoes. I mean, they just like kind of, you could see this little trail when they come in the house. And they immediately go either for the food and the TV or the TV and then the food. But it's one of those two things. And so when we would walk in, I would say, come pick up your backpack, come pick up your coat. Okay, okay. I would only tell them one time. If they did not pick it up, once I walked away, left them alone, came back, I saw it, I would pick it up. And I would walk straight outside and throw it in the garbage can. True? Coats, backpacks, Game Boys, Whatever. Now, some of you are probably in shock, thinking, how could you do that? I taught my children there are consequences to every action. There, there was going to be consequences the rest of their life, and if I did not teach them when they were young, then they were going to think they could get away with things the rest of their life. And so I taught them. There was a lot of stuff that I threw away, and sometimes they didn't get it. Sometimes they forgot. Sometimes the next day they're like, where's my coat? Where? Oh, man, Mom, you threw it away. I know you did. I don't know. Go check. Sometimes they had to go chasing the garbage man. 
Sometimes it was trash thrown on their stuff. Consequences. Now I know that might be funny, but you know what? It taught them. It taught them accountability for their stuff. I go to my son's house. He's got the neatest closet. He don't have that much, but it's all fixed up, all lined up, because he knows, he knew, he learned not to throw his clothes on the floor. He learned a lot of those, he learned accountability. See, God has those kind of instructions for us today. Some of us are really bratty when it comes to God, because, well, I'll just tell God I'm sorry. No big deal. Okay, I messed up. Okay, I'm sorry. You've got to forgive me, God, because your word says that if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all my, my, all my unrighteousness. Yeah, but not if you do it on purpose. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way they should go. So when they are old, they will not depart from it. Ephesians 6.4 says, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Some parents, you need to know that you cannot let your child decide if they want to know about God. Because it is our responsibility to nurture and bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. Now, you don't force God on them. You model it. You model your relationship with God to them. You walk it yourself. Now, for some people say, well, you know what? You know, I, I've talked with parents all my life. And there's, you know, my teenager, they're 12 years old. They don't want to come to church. My, my uh, teenager, 16, they don't want to come to church. What do you do when they don't want to go to school? Do you make them? Of course. When they don't want to eat, do you make them? When they don't want to bathe, brush their teeth, do you make them? How much more do they need the cleansing of God in their life? You don't force religion on your children. You model a relationship with God. Samson was a man who became obsessed with a woman from Timnah, and he insisted against his parents' advice that they get her for him. They did not want to do that because she was an unbeliever. She did not believe in the Lord God Almighty. She was a pagan. She was from the world. It was strictly forbidden to intermarry. But Samson was so insistent with his parents, and because they were so indulgent of him that they gave in, and they started to make arrangements for Samson and her. Now, we don't have arranged marriages anymore. Some of you are saying, thank God. They, they, actually, they still do have arranged marriages in the Eastern culture, but Western culture, we don't have arranged marriages. But when I think about arranged marriages, you know, it's not something that we, that we do or that we 
encouraged in any way. But I will tell you this. You, you should, if you are planning on getting married in the future, you should have your parents' approval. Because when you don't have your parents' approval, you're going to have a difficult time. A very difficult time. I, I know of people who got married against their parents' approval. They did it anyway. This is the man I love. This is the woman I love. I'll lay down my life for her. And they did it anyway. And now they're suffering the consequences. There are some right now who are going against the advice of family and friends, totally ignoring how they think that they, do not, they don't like the person that you're dating. It's as if they believe that if you stubbornly stay with them, I'm going to force them to like her. I'm going to force them to like him. One day they're going to change their mind. But I will tell you this. If you don't have your, your parents or your friends' approval, that's a flag. That's a real flag. And you may think you know that person better than your parents or better than your friends, and you probably do, but they must see something that you don't see. When they say love is blind, hello, love is blind. You don't see what you should see. All you see are emotions. All you see is red for love, pink for happiness, and you don't see the black where other people do. The family may not always be right in their opinions of your boyfriend or girlfriend, but it is better to not go deeper into relationship if there's a lot of negative things going on with your family. Because I'll tell you something, it rarely gets any better. Listen to what your family and friends are telling you. They're trying to help you. They may be saving you from a life of hardship and pain. Number three. Let me get off that soapbox here. Number three, brats take their parents down with them. They take their parents down with them. John, Judges 14.5 says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And then in 14.10, now his father went down to see the woman. You see that? Samson's parents let him have his own way. They let him have his own way. He said, no, that's the woman I want. I don't care if she doesn't know God. I don't care. I don't care. I don't, that's the woman I want. So how do you break a brat out of being a brat? It's right there in your notes. Number one, refuse to rescue the brat from failed responsibility. Refuse to rescue them. Because later on, if you read the story of Samson, he not only married this woman, but then he mocked the wedding guests. He mocked his wife. He mocked her family. He mocked her hometown. And, you know, you have to really read it because he wound up killing his wife and her family. And then he moved back home. Don't do what Mr. and Mrs. Manoa did. Refuse to rescue your brat. Make the brat responsible. 
My children have lived with me, and when they graduated from high school, they had two choices. One choice, they had the summer off. They graduated in June or May, then they had the summer off. By September, they had one of two choices. Either they go to work and they pay rent, or they go to school, and I would support them. Those are their only two choices. And you're, some of you are saying, you make your children pay rent? Yeah. I want to teach my children to be responsible. That is my responsibility, is to teach them how to live. And if I don't train them, then I'm going to be held responsible when they're like, what happened? My daughter pays rent. She pays her own car. She pays her own phone. She pays. And you know what? For a little bit of a time, she left. She left home for about two months, three months. And she moved with friends. And she says, she came back. When she came back, you know what she did? She thanked me for, help, for making her pay rent because it taught her responsibility. She says, none of my friends know responsibility. They don't know how to pay their bills. They don't know how to do anything. I at least know how to do that. And that's what you need to be aware of, that you have a responsibility to teach and train your children. Don't rescue your child. Make them responsible. Dr. Kevin Lehman, who is a really renowned uh, psychologist for children says this, if your son or daughter is supposed to do a project for chemistry or science or English, parents do not complete it for them. I know some parents, you just want to get in there and you're like, it's one o'clock in the morning and my son or my daughter, they got to do this project. Okay, let's run to the store. Let's do this. Let's do. How long did they have? I know every parent in this room remembers, because I surely remember my children procrastinating and waiting and waiting and waiting and not doing what they were supposed to do. But I didn't do it for them. I never did their homework for them because they needed to be taught reality. And the reality is, they have to be responsible. I know some of you, you want to be that good parent. You want to be like that parent on the video. The one that says, I love you when you do my homework for me. I love you when you give me cookies. I love you when you do this for me and you give me money for the mall. I love you when you buy me everything I want, but I don't love you when you make me do my homework. I don't love you when you don't help me. I don't, and that's what every parent doesn't want to hear. But I'm telling you, if you don't let your child be responsible, you're going to raise a Christian brat. And secondly, respond rather than react. Some of parents are like, ah, they're constantly reacting. Reacting, oh my gosh, how, when, who? You're going to raise a Christian brat if you react. One of the saddest verses that I personally feel in the Bible is in Judges 
and I put it there for you to read. Because this is what happens when a brat is allowed to grow up and become a monster. This is when Samson was with Delilah and she had finally found the secret to his strength, which was in his hair. Follow along with me in Judges 16.20. It says this, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Did not know that the Lord had left him? Didn't realize? I don't know about you, but oh my gosh, that is one of the saddest verses. I don't think I've read a sadder verse. I have to ask you. If you woke up tomorrow, if you woke up tomorrow and the Lord left you, would you know? Would you even know that the Lord had left you? When Benji was singing that song today of missing his time with you, when was the last time that you actually spent time with God alone? Do you know what his presence feels like or do you just wait for church to feel that presence? Because if you just wait for church to feel the presence, then you don't know what God's presence feels like. You need to experience his presence in your home, in your prayer closet, in your bedroom, in your living room. You need to find that place where you know him. How sad that Samson did not realize that the Lord had left him. How sad is it when some of us come to church every Sunday morning and we don't even realize that the Lord has left us. We go about our daily duties. We go about doing what we normally do. And we don't even know the Lord is not even there. Sometimes we get so used to the sin in our life, we get so accustomed to it that we gradually push the presence of God out of our life. We get so used to getting up and just doing what we're normally doing. We don't even think of spending time alone with God in the morning. I've got too much to do. I think for too many Christians, for way too many Christians, the answer is, you know, I don't even know if I would know if he was gone or not. See, this didn't happen overnight to Samson. It was a gradual indifference to the presence of God in his life. He got closer and closer to revealing the secret of his strength to Delilah. And he consistently didn't follow the Nazarite law, the law that he was bound to. He didn't value God's presence, so he didn't keep it. He, in his head and in the scripture says, I'll do what I've always done. I'll just do it. I'll just handle it. I'll just take care of it. Some of you are making major decisions for your life. You're, major, you're making major, major decisions. You're at a crossroads. And you're, you're saying to yourself, I'm just going to do what I've always done. Just make that decision. I've never asked anybody for anything anyhow. I don't ask people for help. I don't ask people for their counsel. I just do what I think 
I should do. And it's pretty much turned out okay. Do you know the Lord has left you? The thing is, it was only by the presence of God that he was able to show his strength in the first place. Because when he tried to do something without God's presence, he failed. Leonard Ravenhill, a great pastor, said this. He said, the reason America has not seen revival is because we have become content to live without it. How would you know? You've got to take a close look at your life and ask that question. Would I know God's presence is not with me? Because, see, Samson was now an adult man who was guided by his passions rather than by wisdom or respect of his parents. I believe Samson's mother did the best she could with him. But Samson made choices. She told him, don't do it, and he still wanted to. His choices in women ultimately caused his downfall and his death. And I think there's a hard lesson here that we need to understand. Sometimes we don't even see it or we don't realize it. That parents, we are to nurture our children in the Lord's ways. We are to guide them. But one day they will become an adult. One day they will make their own choices. And if you have done everything that you are supposed to do in leading them and guiding them and modeling them, then when they are old enough and they make that decision, you just have to step back and you got to let them go. They're going to decide whether they're going to listen to your guidance or not. I believe that we need to raise our children in strong Christian homes where values are taught and values are lived. But just like Samson, there's going to be times when we've done the best we could. We've done everything we can do, and our kids still make the wrong choice. We can give them advice. We can pray for our children but we can't make choices for them as young adults. Sometimes we're just going to have to pray for strength to live with the things that we can't change and to have faith that God is going to work it all out for good. Children need guidance. You know that bow? There's a bow. And the Bible says that children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb are his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth in Psalm 127. And that bow, and you have that arrow, and you pull it back, and you do the best you can to aim it right. Now, I know that we all come from dysfunctional families. We all come from places and times that were so different than this culture of today. But you can't use your past family as an excuse for how you are. Just like this, the video that we saw, I could have been a contender. I could have. But look at me. I'm a bum. Blaming it on somebody else and not taking responsibility for his own life. You have a responsibility, parent, to make sure that you raise up your children in the right way. Even though Samson grew up dysfunctional, God somehow still used him. 
and God wants to use you. How greatly God can use you is all up to you. It's all up to you. We have no idea how much God wants to use us, even to the extent of how he wants to use us and where he wants to use us. He can't use somebody who's not willing to be used. Our commitment to purity doesn't determine how much he loves us, but it can determine how much he'll use us. We have to be pure in our lives and in our hearts. If you look at your paper, there are some lessons from Samson that we need to learn. The lesson is Samson expected God to be with him in whatever he did. It doesn't always happen. Just because you've given your life to him, that does not mean that God is always going to put a stamp of approval on every decision you make. The next thing, Samson married a woman God and his parents forbid him to marry, but he did it anyway. We got to learn from that lesson. Next, Samson grew so complacent, he didn't even know when God had left him. He was so lazy in his relationship with God, he didn't even know. Next, Samson was so accustomed to being empowered by God that he had no clue when God left him. Samson was empowered, but empty. And then lastly, he knew about God and his laws, but he consciously chose to ignore them. When you know God, and you know what you're supposed to do, and you don't do it, you can find yourself like Samson. I could have been somebody. I could have done something. But what did you do? What did you do with the life God gave you? These are the action steps. Number one, they're on the back side of your notes. Acknowledge your fatal flaws. What, what is your spiritual soft spot? What area of your life has the most potential to ruin you? Is it lust, coveting? Revenge, an unforgiving spirit, anger, lying. Psalm 38, 18 says, I confess my iniquity or my sin. I am troubled by my sin. Secondly, admit you need help. Until you admit that you are vulnerable, you will never experience victory. Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Some of you may think you no longer have a problem just because it's under the rug. But until you admit your need for help, your flaws will always come back to haunt you again and again and again. Third, avoid temptation. Don't put yourself in situations where you know you're vulnerable. If you have a problem with drinking, don't go to the bar. If you have a wandering eye, stop flirting. If you have difficulty on the internet, get a filter so that you can stay away from sites that won't bring you down. Genesis 4-7 says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Number four, ask for help. It's not enough to just acknowledge your problem, to admit you need help, and to avoid temptation. You need to ask for help. He who thinks he needs nothing or no one needs more than what, who he can imagine. You ask for God's help. Samson did this toward the end of his life when he started to pray. 
but you need to also ask the help of other people. When you look at Samson's life, if you were ever to read his story in Judges, everything he did, he did by himself. He never got other people around him. He never partnered with a buddy. Don't make that same mistake. Find a trusted friend and open up. Someone who will hold you accountable. If you need help, find someone. And number five, assimilate God's truth into your life. Be with God's people. Read God's word and put it into practice. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. When we're left to ourselves, we're on a short walk to becoming a Samson. You got to keep your relationship with Christ growing and commit yourself to do whatever it takes. Sometimes we get lazy. We have a journey group every Friday, but oh, it's it's too cold or it's the the clouds are out or I have the sniffles or my show is on or we make all these excuses to not get connected. You got to get connected. Don't grow Christian brats. Some of you may be sitting here and you're thinking, you know what? Maybe I am that brat. And God wants to touch your life today. Bow your heads with me. We've talked about Christian brats today. And those of you who are parents, you need to look at the way you're raising your children today. Are you indulging them? Are you giving them more than what you should? Because if you are, if you're giving them their own way, if you're allowing them to be disobedient without consequences, then your children will take you down with them. Maybe you've been helping your child out of their responsibilities. You, you do things for them so that they don't have to fulfill their responsibilities. And you think you're helping them, but you're hurting them. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning, and the question that I asked is, if the Lord were to leave you, would you even know? Would it make a difference in the way that you live your life? Would it make a difference in the way that you talk or act at home and at work when you're with your friends? Would it really make a difference? Do you know that you know that you know that the Lord is with you today? If you're sitting here and maybe you're saying, you know, I... I need to be a better parent. I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm not being that parent that is teaching my child responsibility. To know that there is consequences for every action. Or maybe I'm sitting here today and, and I don't know how it would feel to be in God's presence every day. I don't know if he's left me or not. 
And if those two things are ministering to you this morning, I want to pray for you. And if you'd like prayer, I'd like for you to stand right where you're at. Because I want to pray that you would know, that you would know, that you would know the presence of God in your life and that God would help you to become that parent that you need to be to raise up your children in the right way. For everyone that's standing, I'm going to pray for you right now. Jesus, I pray for every parent who is standing for every parent who has the possibility of raising up a Christian brat. Lord, sometimes we love our children so much that we give in to them and we allow ourselves to be manipulated by them. But today, Lord, I pray that you would help every parent to stand strong, every parent to start raising up their child in the admonition of the Lord, that they would say what they mean and mean what they say. That they would be able to be the parent, a godly parent, a parent that would be able to lead and model their children in your ways. Lord, I pray for those that are standing that, that have stood because they want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what it feels like to have your presence in their life 24-7. None of us want to ever be like Samson, that we would ever not know or not even know when your, parent, your presence left us. But we want to feel your presence. Lord, I want to know your presence. I want to be able to walk in your presence, to feel your presence, to know that you're with me. Lord, I pray for every person who has that sincere desire today to know you, to know your presence. Meet them, Lord. Meet them in a special way. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. Stand with me this morning, everybody.